Welcome back to the Deep Fade. My name is Zach, joined this time by Mr. Fister producer Raven. How are you doing? Doing good. Right on. Today, obviously, we are post-championship games over in the NFL, which we will get to. Obviously, we're a couple days out, so we have a broader picture of everything that went down. We'll run through that. Uh, some of our thoughts of where the um, the teams on the worst end of those outcomes are going and then what we look forward to or don't in the Super Bowl coming up but first Monday night 12 NBA games gonna run through a quick notebook dump before we get into everything try and keep this easy breezy but I did think that there were some good games and some impressive takeaways first off Clips Cavs Cavs end up actually taking this game uh, after, I don't know, pretty much holding on to their um, their advantage all the way throughout. I I still need to. I don't think I've actually officially eaten crow on my um, on my Clippers are going to be worse with Harden prediction considering they've been like twenty seven and nine since they traded for him. But they lose one eighteen one ten in this game. A couple just small things. Even though uh, Mobley and not Garland, but Mobley are is back in the lineup, um, I do I do kind of like what I've seen from Okoro just trying shit since they've been in the absence of Garland and Mobley. Where he had a couple good plays where first quarter he pumps and drives, uh, does a euro step and finishes I think over Kawhi or George, and then. He's just playing with more decisiveness on offense. Uh, Additionally, Allen's a monster on the glass if you're not an equally imposing figure. Sorry, Plumlee. Sorry, even Zubats. But even though the Clippers are still scary, in this game, I think that we saw the blueprint of a team that can actually make a difference against them in the playoffs. Because everything we've seen so far is that I was wrong. This trio is dynamic. All of them have reduced their usage rates to make space for each other. Westbrook has even taken his role on the bench. He's playing 23 minutes per game, but he's still faster than your favorite point guard. And while I still give them credit for all that, they got a little chunky in the first half in terms of just the flow of their offense where it was a lot of chucking from deep. And when that's not falling, although it usually is, all those guys are above average shooters percentage-wise and just... By word of mouth, we know that Harden, Kawhi, and Paul George are good shooters. It gets clunky when they're not hitting. Uh, Early in the game, they went down early, had three straight bricks, and it got worse. Just things like that, and it compounds issues. Kawhi, still one of the best end-of-the-shot clock grenade guys that we have. Westbrook is dynamic in transition and just brings in a different energy than you're going to get with those... I mean, more methodical half-court players, particularly in Harden's case. George will 100% still get out on the break, but Kawhi and Harden oftentimes seem a lot more comfortable unless they're the ones launching it up on the break. Uh, a lot of times it's, you know, a chaotic sort of energy, uh, dating back to even his last years in OKC, where it's kind of like... I don't, I don't know if Bull in a China Shop is completely accurate, but I was thinking more like, you know, race car on the highway, where it's like 
when he, if, as long as he's changing lanes and not hitting anyone, it's great. But as soon as he causes a 10-car pileup, that's when the problems start to compound. On offense, on the other end, Cleveland still looking great. Mobley, honestly, is more of a novelty as an on-ball figure at this point, but he still gets up. He's still a good passer. And although I think his defense gets slightly overblown sometimes just because he cannot bang with uh, with the Jokic's or the Embiid's of the world because he'll just get abused, but still impressive if stunted offensively. And then they just have guys like Dean Wade flying around. He's been a surprisingly good rebounder. Uh, same thing applies to Okoro. And it's just these guys that have filled in in the absence of Garland or, and up until now Mobley, and it shows. And it leads me to believe that even though we have been missing Garland since he broke his jaw and that Mitchell has come on and been a top five player in many respects in the absence of Darius Garland. It gives me hope that even though they have been demonstrably better without Garland and just Mitchell or even without Mobley, that they can integrate them back in and this team has figured stuff out. I'm not going to give JB Bakerstaff all the credit in the world because I don't exactly view him as an innovator, but even like late in the game, it was halfway through the fourth. They're, uh, the Clippers are down by 12, and they go to a Harden, Norman Powell, Paul George, Kawhi, Amir Coffey lineup. Uh, I think Coffey or Kawhi is the tallest in that lineup at 6'8, 6'9. They had George showing in the plate, cutting off any entry passes to Jared Allen. It was a mixed bag. It got tight. I think it got to within four points, even. But Nonetheless, they adjusted. Allen finishes the game with 17 rebounds and a game ceiling and one. They adjust, and I think that that is microcosmic of what I'm talking about there, where even in that scary moment where it's like, oh, this weird small ball lineup might get the jump on us and steal this game. Nope, they close it out. They finish the game up by 10. The Clippers need more size. I think that they're one of those teams that's going to be in the market for someone to put next to or behind Zubats in a lot of the same way that the Thunder are looking to do that for Chet. And it could be someone as simple as Nick Richards as the, or like, I don't want to say Kelly Olenek is shooting higher, but another skilled body in there that I think has more defensive chops than Mason Plumley. No offense to Plum Dog, but there's bodies out there. Even like, like a Vucevic type guy who's making 20 million, put him in as a much more offensively capable option off the bench who we can talk about Vuce's defense. I'm very familiar with it, but he uses his hands and he is thick. So put him in there. He will at least grab you. If he's a bench player at like 27 minutes a game, he'll still probably get you 10 boards on the other side, Cleveland. I really look forward to Garland coming back. And I think that this might be the third best team in the East, simply off of their merits that they've earned in the last month without Garland. And then if they can integrate back more seamlessly than they were looking at the beginning of the year, this becomes a team that challenges Philly and maybe Boston. Much more so than that team that lost to the Knicks last year. Pistons Celtics also played last night. Um, we can go through a lot of the start of this game. Pelicans jump out early. There was a sequence where they showed the graphic. Zion's at a career low in points per game, I believe career low in rebounds, but a career high in assists. 
So he's played a different role, but he's also been the healthiest that he's been since he got into the league. Awesome. Back-to-back plays in the second quarter while they're up. He had a running hook to the rim that he completely dented off the front of it. And then immediately after that, he gets uh, Tatum on the left side baseline, backs him in, jump step, little pump fake, tries to get stripped by uh, the the help side defender, but then just goes up and finishes over Tatum with a baby hook. That looked a lot more like Zion. The previous did not. And I think that just might be what we have to expect offensively unless something dramatic changes about his conditioning. I'm not going to belabor that point like it was earlier in the season. He's been healthy, and so we can only talk about him, how he has performed to this point. So let's presume he's healthy, and this is him. The Pelicans are still looking great even after ultimately losing this game. We'll get into that in a second. They're 26-21. and They are top 12 in both offense and defense, and they've had a relatively tough schedule. So it's on, it's looking up, and although they're eighth in the West right now, which seems ridiculous, but there's going to be a lot of shuffling as we go through the second half of the season. They are a team that should not be shipping off players if they can keep Zion healthy. Because if they can keep Zion healthy and ideally happy, then you have Brandon Ingram to be someone who can fill in as the... Uh, as the second unit operator when they're trying to stagger their minutes as stars, because Zion, I still see as a wildly positive presence, but even the Ingram moments can can stutter a little bit, which is where you need either another ball handler, which is ideally where CJ McCollum comes in, but he's been in and out of the lineup and is not exactly a defensive positive, or you need development from someone like Dyson Daniels, whose offensive rebounding and like multiple deflections for per game uh, or what get me up in the morning, but ultimately doesn't really contribute to winning in a tangible way for a team that's under f- or over 500. So someone like Daniels, who I believe in, someone like Nance as a calorie set, salary cap filler, and a pick or two, they still have some of Milwaukee swaps and all that, could get them someone more impactful, whether that's someone like a Harrison Barnes who can at least handle. Um, we talked about a lot of guys. Like I don't think they're in the market for Levine, but they're a team that with the defensive infrastructure they have, maybe if you're swapping McCollum out for it, I think that'd be interesting. They're a huge Caruso team because then you augment that defense, add someone who's been a good spacer this year and can, uh, can definitely even out some of those minutes where you have questionable offensive players, but decent defensive players like Daniels or even like the Najee Marshalls of the world, no offense. But they, late in the game, were at 94-94 with 6-14 remaining. Derek White has a clutch three to tie the game. Jalen Brown's been dishing, I think he had like 19-8-7 at that point. But then after the break, no Zion. The possessions right after they, they took him out in a close game. Uh, Brandon Ingram hits a tough bucket, but then the Celtics immediately get a layup on the other end. 96-96, Brandon Ingram turnaround, 98-96. Then on the other end, Derek White gets a three. Uh, Derek Herb Jones, who, again, I adore, but um, is someone that they need to hold on to for this exact reason. He spins under a switch and gets punished. Herb on the other end has a turnover into a Tatum transition dunk. 
Brandon, Brandon Ingram breaks a three, and Tatum has a transition foul, and then it just compounds from there. And they blew a lead that they built on offense, and they build leads on offense with someone like Zion. So that serves to say that they need to build their depth, particularly offensively, and I am concerned, not necessarily, not necessarily about Willie Green, but about trust late in games, because this is something that we've questioned in every sport. I mean, we're, we're going to talk about it later with like Purdy on the 49ers and whether or not Shanahan trusts him in close games. Let's talk about it with like, before he got traded to the Raptors, they did this with RJ Barrett, where he would almost never play late close games. Um, it's a thing with LaMelo too. It's just something to keep an eye on. T-Wolves at Thunder, I didn't watch a ton of this game, to be entirely honest, but a good defensive effort. And then a uh, shout-out, Anthony Edwards, for the quote, at least of this week, for saying, I'm going to take the fine because the ref didn't get us any calls tonight. In a game they won, which, you know, credit for the bitching. Uh, and then, in my opinion, in the game of the night, Bucks nuggets I'm glad at least both of the stars played in this game. True. Middleton was making shots, and I think that that covers up their role-player differential with teams like the Nuggets, who don't have the best. I mean, with they really miss Bruce Brown. I think that they were hoping for more out of guys like Zeke Minaji, and I think Peyton Watson has been a revelation, but even he is shooting 36, 29, and 75 over his last 10. He has the athleticism. He had almost had the nastiest dunk over, uh, I want to say, Dame, where he comes off of the baseline on an alley-oop and Jokic lobs it to him, but Dame just barely uh, alters his path to to prevent him from being put on highlight reels for the next five years. But Middleton at least makes up for the fact that Portis, I think, missed his first nine shots, and then Connaughton has been brutal all year I mean Andre Jackson is interesting Marjan Bochamp barely plays Middleton being a third star excuse me covers up for a lot of the concerns that we've had with their depth it doesn't cover up the other concerns we've had for the Bucks, but it makes a difference and Middleton is a positive presence on defense still uh, they 10 second counted Giannis and got him late in the game which was pretty funny uh, I was watching the Nuggets broadcast, and they pulled up their phone and did, like, the iPhone timer uh, during it, and I think it got to 13 seconds once, which I thought we were done with, but just pointing out that that's still a thing. As far as the Bucks with Doc, I think they're 2-1. and one. This is the first loss. Again, this is all just word of mouth. This is coming from my eyes and my mouth. You can take it as you will. I'm not sure that the stats are going to reflect it yet. We're in a small sample. I would like to say that there's definitely more urgency in transition, and I think the final score of this game uh, ultimately reflects that this was a more at least spirited defensive effort where, I again, I think that they still lack the foot speed in a lot of way. I think Malik Beasley is possibly the worst perf- perimeter guard defender in the league, but... 113-107 in today's NBA means that both teams were trying on defense or missing shots, which I didn't really feel like that was the case. I think they both were playing hard enough. And then 
I believe in the third quarter, I mean, staying with Malik Beasley, even when he's lighting you on fire, Jokic had a triple-double by the end of the third quarter, and he and Murray just held off any streakiness that you're going to get from players who aren't Giannis or Dame or Middleton. And while I do think that that's triumvirate, if they're all healthy, is all you need in the playoffs, I think that it does cap their ceiling because they don't have... I mean, think to when they beat the Suns in the finals. Like, Raven, you can speak to this, where uh, Bobby Portis made himself a Milwaukee legend... Despite not exactly having crazy statistics, it's because he had two games where he just was a fourth star for them. Yeah, it was, I mean, vividly the moment that I remember is him like long stepping down the court Mm -hmm. after a bad call. But he just was one of those guys that brought the energy up when you needed it and made a shot when you really needed it. But he's not a star by any means. (laughs) No, but he was. For, that for those, yeah, for, for a those, couple of games in a series that required those fine margins. Yeah, they need someone more defensively capable than Portis, and Connaughton has completely fallen off the face of the earth. I would like to point out only one moment in this game that I thought was really important. I think it was ninety ninety one. Score. It was in the middle of the fourth quarter. I mean, we think back to when Adrian Griffin tried to take Giannis out, and then he sat at the scorer's table and came back in. Giannis came out of the game in a close game. He dapped up Doc and sat on the bench. Which, just as like... It's one moment. It's huge. But it's, it's huge to see that at least... You know? Giannis is understanding... Returns. He's understanding that like... Coach has an idea, like, let's trust him with this instead of what is my coach doing? I'm getting back on the floor. It's not like the the lead became, like, insurmountable in the short time that Giannis rested either. He wasn't out for long. But I just wanted to point out that early returns, we also have not heard any bristling about Doc yet, and that is encouraging. Again, they also played the defending champs to a six-point game that realistically could have been even better. So credit to that. I am still curious to see what the defensive numbers are going to look like as we continue. But again, in a league that averages 115 points per game, holding a team with Nikola Jokic on it to under that is at least encouraging. Denver is 7-3 and three in their last 10. We're going to talk about one of those last 10. Let's play the same game that we did uh, with Middleton with Jamal Murray who was amazing in this game, 35 points and a ton of clutch shots. He's been 23 points per game, four rebounds and seven assists. He's absorbed some of Gordon's offensive role that he was filling last year. But if Gordon finds his shot and then uh, Porter at least gets back to the same level of consistency, his efficiency is pretty similar, but it's been up and down. I still like them out West. Gordon over his last 10-2 is 12, 6, and and 2.5 shooting 57% from the field, which is great. And he's only 28 from three, but he's barely shooting one a game. Like I said, Watson might play himself out of the rotation, but I still like it. Brown's numbers are down, but they clearly trust him. He was in for most of the fourth quarter. And most importantly, credit to both Jokic and Giannis for actually playing in this game. Because over the weekend, since our last recording, uh, there was a specific instance where it seemed like uh, the opposing star was going to play, and what in this 
bullshit made-up rivalry week, which I did not know existed until it started, that Embiid hasn't played in Denver in years, and then we're coming up to the game, and Nick Nurse says he's good, and then apparently it's like, oh, the training staff didn't like how he looked and shoot around. Cut the shit. Okay, uh, credit to Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer, who, good Twitter follow, um, but just as a basketball fan, like, if you came out to this game, which was probably really expensive if you've ever followed a team that's good and has a key matchup, Jokic and Bede, all those fans should get reimbursed because, like, pardon me, what the f*** are we doing? Why is this even sort of permitted? And I get that we're trying to punish this by saying that Embiid's probably not going to qualify for the awards. He's probably not going to play 65 games. But even if he played 60-61, why are we being the ones punished to this? Because Embiid doesn't get punished. He was egging on the crowd. Like, Jokic has missed one game this season. No, I agree with you. I mean, it's the same thing with um, Halliburton, which for different reasons, he's been hurt a lot this year, but... I think he's three games away from missing um, any accolades. So which hopefully he can just stay healthy. But like in Embiid and Jokic's case, Embiid is literally going out there and stat chasing for some of these games and then missing the other ones. Whereas Jokic is going out there every single game and playing. Yeah, not to not to interrupt, but like to to further that point. I'm not even against that necessarily. The whole averaging more than a point per minute for being the first guy since Will is really cool. And then watching that 70-point game, really impressive. And I think that it was close enough that they could sort of justify it. He didn't have to. But if you're close to 70, especially at home, that's fun. When Luka went for 73 in the same week, disgusting. But cool. Like you see, it's like Luka Doncic has 60 points. You pull it up on your phone. It's great. It is great to see as an individual performance. And I credit Embiid for having a lot of great individual performances. But this is loser shit. I still believe in the Sixers, and honestly, it might be to their benefit that Embiid and them don't care about actually hitting that awards benchmark. But why are the fans the ones that always get punished when guys like Jokic... And Giannis, especially, Giannis has always been great about this, playing when he can. Going to LeBron, even. LeBron's 39, and he's played more games than Embiid. What are we doing? Coming back, we're going to talk about the upcoming Super Bowl matchup that we now have set. Uh, Some questions that we have for the Chiefs and Ravens, and then a little bit about the Lions collapse. And we're back. So our Super Bowl is set. And to uh, quote Brendan Tegatoff, who is not here with us today, but only in spirit, uh, we now get to enjoy a Taylor Swift, Brock Purdy, Jackson Mahomes, Usher Bowl, which he did say before the um, the Lions, the Lions uh, Niners game. So credit for him. Called it. But three questions that I have immediately after we exit that first game of the day, Chiefs beating the Ravens 17 to 10. To our chagrin, did we ultimately end up with the best on-field matchup possible? I think the externalities of this suck. 
And I think that losing out Lamar, burying his playoff doubters, and not having the Lions in Vegas is a bummer. And I think that that um, reflects a lot of even casual fan sentiments about what this looks like. I think if you're just looking for the purest on the field best game, you probably ended up with it. But eh, I don't think anyone actually wanted it, which is kind of kind of the point. I don't think that anyone came into this rooting necessarily unless you were fans of this team for Chiefs Niners because whether you're looking for content or just general fun, the Lions or the Ravens might have been better. The Lions-Ravens Super Bowl would have just been an amazing time. You got Usher at halftime. You got why is two. that? Why is that what you lead with? Because you got Usher at halftime, bro. Yeah. Okay. Um, you got Usher at halftime. You got two teams that haven't been to the playoffs in a while. I mean, Ravens have just struggled in the last five years, but Lions situation—they haven't been there in sixty years. They haven't been to the NFC Championship game in that long. Yeah. So, any point after that, it's just—it's going to be fun. It's going to be a team just. These guys are happy to be there, whereas I feel like the 49ers, I don't know, I just, it feels monotonous every year that they're there. I think that's a good word. Where, as much as we enjoyed, enjoyed might not be the right word, as much as we could have appreciated the the dominance of Brady or now the contemporary dominance of Mahomes, it does get a little monotonous or tedious to like just assume half of the Super Bowl every year. That's why people, as entertaining as some of the series was, it's why people complained about Cavs Warriors or why people don't want to keep seeing teams like the Astros in the World Series because it gets boring. Or at least it gets tiring to, to have to repeat the same points and you just kind of feel trapped by the same storylines. Also, even just like, Chiefs-Lions and uh, Lions fans just screaming at the top of their lungs, uh, not knowing what a Swifty is, would be outstanding. And then even Ravens-Niners, you would at least have the uh, the conspiratorial rigged of it all with the Super Bowl logo. Now we just get none of it, and it's just all red. <sighs> Mahomes, and an impressive enough defense... Shout out to Spagnola, who I have discovered in six second half quarters. So the wild card round, the divisional round, and now the AFC championship game. In the second half, the Chiefs defense has given up 10 total points. And this was against, and now they go up against the uh, the most overwhelming collection of skill position talent that we've ever seen in what will end up being a more appropriate football game. And that just goes back to the point. It's probably for the best. But screw this. Uh, will either of these championship losers be back here next year or in the next three? To fully acknowledge this, uh, more so applies to the Lions. But quoting Dan Campbell, it's going to be twice as hard to get back to this point next year. That's just the reality. And then breaking news right before we came back from break I did want to ask how badly they might miss Ben Johnson, but apparently he's not taking the commander's job. Now, I am really curious to see as to why, but... it's the commanders, probably. Well, it's the commanders, but at least... Okay, there's still infrastructure there. You have True. a new owner. It's not Dan Snyder, thank God. Yeah. Or whatever you believe in, just praise to him that we don't have Snyder in our lives. And 
I I generally am okay with Josh Harris. I don't know. I don't mind what he's done with the Sixers, obviously. But that question becomes moot. I do think that it's interesting that he didn't end up taking that job because it's hard enough to get a head coaching job. And when you're Washington and you're probably going to have, you're going to be an offensive coordinator who gets to work with Drake May. And then they already have Terry McLaurin and uh, like Curtis Samuels or John Dotson's offensive line sucks, but I'm curious to see if he stayed because it's the lions. And I think that Detroit might praise him as a deity for doing exactly that. Cause I think he could have gotten that job and it's said that he's staying and not that he's going to pursue the Seattle job. I think that that is interesting because if I were trying to, he's young enough that it's probably fine, but when a job like the Seahawks is open for the first time in over a decade and they have good positional talent and that whatever you think about Geno, I think that if Ben Johnson can work with Jared Goff, he can work with Geno Smith. I don't think there's that huge a disparity in where Goff was in LA and how people feel about Geno now after being a little bit worse. That's interesting. I'm rambling about that, but having Ben Johnson back, I think actually does inspire a lot of confidence because he's like, for the same reason that it's bad if people know your coordinator's names because he's really bad, it's really good if people know your coordinator's name because he's just that impressive. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, also the fact like we were watching some of the Dan Campbell post conference. Maybe uh, he just wants to stay for him. Honestly, he could, but. There was one thing that they kind of stu- stood out was like he was like, I'm not going to rush any moves like I'm not going to like get off the conference right now and start thinking about what we're going to do for next year. No, he said he's going to take a two hour nap and then he'll start thinking about what he wants to do, which uh, he said two hours of sleep. I think that meant just that was how that's much, how he, much he sleeps going to sleep <laughs> that night. I didn't take that as a nap. Hey, man, I don't know if you need two hours of sleep and wake up and then okay. start thinking football. And I don't know. I mean, that that does seem like a Dan Campbell thing to do. We so. can. OK, we can edit the break that it's going to take to find it. But can you can you pull that segment just because now I want to know if that's just how much he sleeps at night? Yeah, I got you. Uh, it should be. And like, I'll begin. Um, but I'm not going to rush. Yeah, I, I got it that. first try. I'm not in some mad rush. I'm going to make sure it's right. Oh, hold on. Let me rewind it a little bit. So he was a critical piece for us. You know, he he's a, he's a critical piece. Um, and uh, and I'm not I'm not worrying about that just yet. You know, I need to at least get two hours of sleep and then and then I'll begin. Um, but I'm not going to. I think you're right. I think that's just how much he sleeps at least two hours of sleep. I think that's just what he's going to go to sleep tonight. How long? (laughs) That's hilarious. What's the, what was the tweet where it's like, uh, eight hours of sleep, eight hours of work. That's 14 hours. And then you still have 10 hours to, uh, to work out, uh, read, eat food, (laughs) uh, take a walk on the beach. And it's like, what? That doesn't add up. Good for him. For Baltimore, it's honestly scarier that Johnson didn't take that job because it means that 
both Monk and who, after that game, I don't think is getting a head coaching job. But Mike McDonald specifically, they might lose to Seattle. And then if the Washington job is open, that's just another team that could steal it from them. And I think that of if you're trying to pick a coordinator from that game, uh, McDonald is the one because after they got through the first flurry of Chiefs punches in the first half, they didn't do anything the rest of the game. As soon as they got past what I imagine were read scripted plays and then maybe a little bit further, they weren't doing anything. And any movement they got, it was because Mahomes is amazing or because they got bailed out by a penalty. But I think that this was shattering for so many of these guys because it, it clearly seemed they were all crushed or pissed. It was that they were all so amped. And that led to the Zay Flowers taunting penalty. That led to just, uh, they led to the Mahomes roughing the passer. It led to just mistakes. And they were at home and they were over pursuing a little, but it clearly didn't matter. They only gave up 17 points. It's just hard to see that and then immediately see them making it back. They had the staff, the front office, and the players to make it back immediately. But you have to hope that this is just a temporary heartbreak and that it is not a fundamental crack in the foundation. And then shout out to uh, to Justin Spiro on Twitter because this is, is very funny and accurate, but it says, don't sweat that all-time crushing loss on the doorstep of the Super Bowl. We'll be back and finishing the job next time. This applies to both of these teams. Sincerely, the 2007 Chargers, the 2009 Jets, the 2009 Vikings, the 2010 Jets, the 2010 Bears, the 2014 Colts, the 2015 Cardinals, the 2017 Jaguars, the 2017 Vikings, the 2019 Titans, the 2020 Bills, and the 2020 Packers. I'm sure that, thanks, I'm sure that all of those teams we talked about the same way. I mean, remember those Packers. That was after Rodgers won the first of those back-to-back MVPs and they lost to the Niners. Yeah. they. Have, I mean, they've recovered fairly quickly, but it's four years later. It is true. But Even if you end up with the same QB, just keep in mind that it, the grass isn't always greener. Uh, we're going to go through a couple of Lamar's playoff losses here because I... I think that Lamar is going to have to win a Super Bowl to shake the specter of being a playoff choker. Do you do you agree with that? Like, No, I think, yeah, I, I agree just because he's good during the regular season, but then he just can't get to the Super Bowl. It makes a difference. It really does. It, especially in football where it's not, like this is what they said about LeBron forever. I mean, going back to... Uh, Going back to Cleveland, but then his first series in Miami where he got, like, tricked by J.J. Barea, and he wouldn't back him down, and then that was the worst series of his career. It's a lot of the same feelings for me. Lamar's still young enough that I'm not going to, like, put a permanent stamp on him because I don't think that's fair yet. But going back through all of the Ravens' playoff losses since he became a starter— this year, 20 of 37, 272 yards, a touchdown, and a brutal interception and a 17 to 10 loss that could have easily been avoided either by not throwing that interception, 
Not a guarantee that they're going to score, but they were pretty much in the red zone, and he threw it into triple coverage. I saw someone saying that it's also Likely's fault for putting his hand up like he was open. Okay, do you know how many times a game that a receiver puts his hand up because he's like, I can moss this guy? Like, get out of here. It was triple coverage. You're the quarterback. You see both linebackers and a safety converging on the point you're trying to throw to. If you're not going to throw it like at the goalpost where only likely can get it, it's a bad throw. Sorry. Zay Flowers fumbling too. Like, I this does not fall only at his feet, but the defense was as good as you could have asked. And that he had a I mean, that brutal fumble towards in the first half, too, that didn't actually amount to anything. The Chiefs turned it over on downs. But even then they got lucky because I would argue that Travis Kelsey got a first down on that possession it's just there were ways that this could have been one and then either Lamar or primary flowers I'm also crediting Todd Monken for only running I believe six times with or no I have it here eight times with players who aren't Lamar that all falls at other people's feet but he could have won this game Mahomes would have won that game if this was his supporting cast. I mean, I'm sorry to I'm sorry to compare it like that, but it's true. I think you're I don't I'm not disagreeing with you, but I just the biggest thing that sticks out for me is like Lamar Jackson was the second highest receiving like he had the second most receiving yards on his team. I mean, <laughs> and that was to the the batted pass that he caught himself and ran for 13 yards. That's the second most receiving yards he, you have? That was he was like um Oh God, who's the who's the basket catch in center field? You know what I'm talking about. Let me search it up, basket. But like, to that point, he there's reasons not to blame him, and I don't want to because I like him, and I think we all do. I think you and I both really like him. Brendan's not here, but like, yeah, okay, that's not true because like seven people out received him. I was just fact checking you. No, I'm just. Just doing it. I made it up. That Okay. I appreciate your candor. But to your point, Nelson Aguilar, one for 39. Justice Hill was their third leading receiver. And for all the blame that Flowers deserves, he was their only competent guy in this game. Odell he, had, he really did well. Odell had two good catches on one drive and an important third down. But he hit Sully's parlay. Good for him. <laughs> Lamar... Out receive Rashad Bateman, who's supposed to be the number two in that offense. Mark Andrews, I mean, he gutted it out, but two for 15, I don't know if he had much of an impact in this game. And again, we can place the blame at other people's feet, but that's why we're going through all of this. Last year, Lamar is injured. It's Tyler Huntley. He doesn't play in a loss to the Bengals. Get rid of that. 2020-2021. He goes 14 for 24, 162 yards, zero touchdowns and interception, and a 17... To three loss at Buffalo falls at his feet. I mean, that game too. Literally, let's make it, let's analogize it. Lamar's gotten better than there since he's been in that game. Mm-hmm. Okay. They lost 17 to three, but now they're at home in Baltimore and they lose 17 to 10. So apparently, that's saying that this Ravens team has gotten seven points better while one, at home. One throwing touchdown better. I don't believe that. 19 and 20. They, he goes 31 for 59. 
throwing 59 times in a game against the Titans. 365 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, 143 yards rushing, a good statistical game. They lose 28-12 to in Baltimore. Tannehill had 88 yards passing in that game. It was the Derrick Henry show. Shout out to Mike Vrabel, how he's not a coach yet. Seattle better sign him. 18-19, he's a rookie. They lose to the Chargers. Who cares? He he might end up being the NFL's, this NFL era's Manning to Mahomes as Brady, but I don't think that necessarily captures the experience. It's not a perfect analogy. I think it kind of feels like every team that's going to go up against the Chiefs right now feels like all the teams that had to play the Yankees in the 20s and 30s, where anyone that's not the Yankees winning the final games of the season is an anomaly. And so, like, the Bengals getting in there one year in a game where I think Mahomes is concussed, and, like, any, even if Josh Allen squeaks through one year, we're going to write it off as a fluke. It just feels insurmountable. And that's where I don't want to blame just him and just say that he's a failure or a choker or be like he has as many MVPs as he does playoff wins because I think that denigrates him. And I think that that undersells how amazing it is to watch Lamar Jackson play football. But he was bad in this game, and he made the game-stealing mistake. And we have to put that at his feet. I'm not going to say that he is a failure or a loser. He's a two-time MVP. He is going into next year third, fourth, if you want to, like, put in platinum your quarterback rankings. At least I think he has to be. But he has to do something more to not be viewed this way broadly. Outside of that, let's go to a more positive note that the Chiefs did, I mean, everything they needed to, really, and they let the Ravens shit all over themselves. After the first 20 minutes, I don't really think anyone enjoyed this game, where it's 17-3, to and then we're kind of just watching three and outs or fumbles or turnovers or the Ravens looking uncomfortable. Mahomes goes 30 for 39, 241 yards, one touchdown, and approximately 50,000 souls ripped out of their bodies. He starts a record-tying 11 for 11. Shout out to Rich Gannon, apparently the last person to do that. And he immediately made me regret any Ravens-related bets. Uh, That's on me. But Lamar immediately returning serve at the beginning to uh, Zay Flowers to make it 7-7 made me feel better but it was misleading for how the rest of the game would go. The second quarter was ugly. Baltimore fumbles, forces turnover on downs, punt, 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 and then the Chiefs field goal. Baltimore was fourth in offensive DVOA this season, the Chiefs eighth. If you do it by weighted, they're both even higher. Weighted DVOA meaning that they factor in more recent games higher. McDonald and the defense completely saw the Chiefs in the second half. They didn't get sacks until late, but they were locking them up enough to keep giving Lamar and the offense chances. I have the biggest mistakes listed here. I want you to tell me which you think is the most prominent. Uh, Zay Flowers getting a taunting penalty. Flowers fumbling at the goal line, which I almost want to like just give all the credit to Snead because that was as perfect. That is like... He hit the ball perfectly. He did it with just like lock on precision. And that is the type of play 
A, it's why you're told not to dive at the goal line like that with your arm out, and B, like, Charles Tillman would be proud. Um, the interception, the likely, and then eight rushes for players named Lamar Jackson and eight rushes play for players not named Lamar Jackson when they were averaging 7.4 yards per carry. Yeah, I mean, I think after probably the second quarter and you see how you're not throwing the ball too well, I feel like you should be running more. And especially if you have a quarterback who can run as well, it's like you have a dual threat uh, situation, essentially. So, like, I just feel... They were blitzing him so much. They were okay. Then I mean, that, I heard, which is good. Well, I'm agreeing with you. But at the during the game, this was one thing that like the commentators said. Which, as someone who watches sports, I hate NFL commentators more than anyone else. But they said something that was accurate, and it, it, it's he's getting blitzed super super quickly. Why are they trying to throw the ball downfield? Just throw like a five yard slant. They seemed so obsessed with with throwing the ball hundred hundred feet. Pushing it, yeah, pushing it downfield when they have the most electric running quarterback. I don't, I remember one, maybe two design runs for Lamar, which again, if you have smart linebackers or uh, defensive ends who can play both the running back and the quarterback well enough, great. Lamar breaks that play because Unless it is Lawrence Taylor, you do not have someone athletic enough to play both a even competent running back and Lamar Jackson well. And the Chiefs were without Willie Gay, who is, as they were saying during the broadcast, like their predominant spy guy that would keep an eye on Lamar and keep him from doing shit like this. They, I mean, let's talk about like that Titans game that we were talking about before. They did not pass even when the game was tight. They just ran it down their throat because they knew what their game was. Even start of the second half when you're down 17 to 3, why are you still not rushing? It that is what I hold the offense's stagnation to, but great point because like part of Lamar's problem in there is that he was waiting for things to develop downfield and one receiver was able to actually do that. And it's like I don't I just you have a running back who can I don't know, just do a slant. I feel like if you did three slants on any of those plays where you were waiting 10 seconds to throw the ball, you would have gotten your first down. I think that that is fair in a lot of those cases. And even on that last drive, before he threw the likely interception, Odell Beckham catching a a first down and then another pass on short and intermediate routes, great. And then when it comes back to Lamar, screen passes, swing passes uh, to the running backs, he was throwing 100 miles an hour. So, again... You can't put everything at the, at the feet of the coordinator. The coordinator only tells them what plays to run and whether or not they execute is a whole other thing. But I put the most of it on Lamar and the game plan. But honestly, more the game plan, because what are we doing? He didn't look comfortable. He just... I think Harbaugh also might hold some of the blame here, too, for how pumped up they were in this game. And... It's one of those things where it feels strange to question John Harbaugh, who's been coaching for coaching the Ravens for over a decade. Crazy to think of John Harbaugh in the same stratosphere in terms of longevity as the guys like Mike Tomlin or Pete Carroll or Belichick when two of those guys just got fired. I don't know what it takes to question Harbaugh. 
I think that you lose some of the cachet from a Super Bowl after 12 years. I'm not going to put it on him either, but I feel like this entire thing is just the blame game when I think the locker room after kind of just showed what we should take away from this. Every player looked crushed and all but, I think, Patrick Queen, Odell Beckham, and Lamar left immediately. Optimism is healthy, and you're looking at the best organization in football, but whether we want to talk about Lamar not hitting deep passes or Monken not calling a good running game or Harbaugh not having his guys prepared in the right way, every contender that doesn't have Mahomes is going to fall apart before he does. Every one of these teams is going to fall back to 7 and 10, 8 and 9 before Mahomes gets worse at football. You need him to get hurt or you need him to get old, and one of those is not happening for a while. Kelsey, back-to-back games where he puts up enough in two and a half quarters to change the game. And then shout-out to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Packers legend, for really sealing two playoff games. You see his catch at the end? I did, but... That was was a tough falling-down pirouette catch. It was, and I saw this on Instagram somewhere, but... He had a, uh, I think it was week 15, he had a game-losing catch. Or yeah, a he had. Missed the catch. But he might have had like five. I, I, rem- I definitely remember two. Yeah, I know there's at least two, but he's making it up in the postseason, which if you're one of those guys that makes those mistakes to, re- um, just to like prove yourself later in the season when it matters more, is it's just a good feeling overall. So ha- happy for him. I am legitimately happy for him. And hey. You, again, like we were talking about with um, how, I mean, go all the way back to what we were talking about in the NBA. Sometimes in a game, particularly in the playoffs, you just need one extra guy to do something you didn't expect. And it was Marquez Valdez-Scanlon. Now, we're going to uh, completely gorge ourselves on Chiefs content and all this over the next two weeks. So I won't belabor how good... Mahomes or Kelsey were or how they're going to be or when we already talked about how good this defense is but Tay-Tay's in the Super Bowl did you see if she fuck I meant to do the applause <laughs> oh, no you didn't yes I did I didn't mean She's, to hit the okay crickets. did you see the thing about um about traveling from Tokyo to get there in time no so I think apologies to everyone who already knows this but I think it's the night before because Tokyo is however many hours ahead. She has a concert. And then if she flew back to Vegas, would theoretically, because of the time change, land could land at like 8 p.m. the day before the Super Bowl. Hmm. So the idea being she's probably going to make it. All I'm going to say is there are literal betting odds for um, whether or not he proposes. Kelsey is going to propose. And I, I mean, lit- I, it's perfect. It's I made perfect. a joke for later and that I will definitely. Let's save it. We, yeah, of course. It's going to be a walkout. But, but yeah. Uh, one last thing before we move on to uh, uh, the debacle of Detroit circa 2024. Where does Andy Reid rank amongst all-time coaches with or without this Super Bowl win? Because he's still clearly got it. Like we talked about, those first scripted plays were the only momentum they were able to build offensively. Some of his resume, he's fourth all-time in wins. He has a chance for his third ring. And while he likely won't finish close to Don Shula or George Hallis in 
regular season wins, he's going to keep racking up wins while he's still coaching with Mahomes. It's going to be 10 to 13 every year. He has 258 to Bill Belichick's 302. But he is second all-time in postseason wins at 25 behind Belichick, who has 31. That I think he could actually break. Because no matter where Belichick goes, or even if he's on the head coach of a team after this offseason, which I'm not going to guarantee, let's say he wins the Super Bowl and the Chiefs are winning one or two games, maybe three every season. I think it's super realistic that Reed could finish out his career with like 35. And then he is on top by a wide margin if he's ahead of Belichick. Again, we're we're talking about people who are still coaching or still want to coach, so there's a fine line in talking about where people are going to end up. I'm just going to say that if if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, I think Andy Reed's going to end up retiring with the most co- postseason coaching wins ever. And he's... In my mind, again, I was not there, so forgive me, but I think he's top five up with the the Belichicks and the Shulas, Walshes, Parcells of the world. And then one last point, and then Raven, you have some some news for me. Of course. Mahomes is going to create another generation of all-time QBs without or with a couple more rings. We are in the gilded age of passing, and guys like Allen, Lamar, Burrow, Herbert, even like the Stafford or Goffs are putting up better numbers than the signal callers of years past. I mean, go back to the 90s and 2000s and compare their numbers to Justin Herbert, and it's going to blow you away unless their name is Peyton Manning, frankly. He's just, Mahomes is just that much better than them. And paired with the perfect captain to lead him and to work to his strengths, and whether or not he wins the Super Bowl every year, he's going to be in the championship game pretty much every year, as he's demonstrated. You have to be lucky to get out of the ASC, and if you are lucky enough to be in the NFC to actually get the chance to face them, it's already tough enough to get to the Super Bowl as is, as demonstrated by teams like the Eagles. So if you are Joe Burrow, Josh Allen even like Herbert Hurts to uh I mean I mean not necessarily these guys but Goff Stafford for the rest of his career good luck good luck indeed all right speaking of good luck the 49ers are probably going to need it Azak eh, <laughs> I don't know I'm trying to be, I'm, I'm trying to do some sort of thing so it's just not silent after the f- break you should keep that in i will i'll just cut off the the laughter and stuff no you should keep all of that in i appreciate i appreciate the effort i really do i just i just thought it was funny okay speaking of luck (laughs) um lines did not have it 31 34 let's play the same game of three big questions do we stand on golf being better than purdy even after this game because I think that, like, qualitatively, yes, just because, especially at the in the first half, Goff looked infinitely more comfortable, and I don't think that I'm necessarily speaking out of turn when I say that I think his coach trusted him more than um, more than Kyle Shanahan and trusted Purdy, especially in the first half. Goff finishes 
25 for 41, 61% completion percentage. Not crazy, but 273 yards, a touchdown, didn't make a crazy mistake, was pushing the ball, um, had mistakes that weren't his fault. I think that if you're grading out the four quarterbacks that played in these four games, I think that you, Mahomes is first only because he very much did everything he needed to do. But, like, I think you could argue that Goff had the most complete game of anyone who played in either of these games. And to that point, I think player to player, I, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn that Kyle Shanahan would, if uh, if the league called and said that you're allowed to swap Jared Goff for Brock Purdy for the Super Bowl, I think he would consider it. And that's without like, the season of preparation. So I still stand behind it. I think that Purdy got bailed out by the likes of Kendall Vildor not being able to catch a damn ball. Uh, Bears legend. And just the Lions defensive line not being able to create as much damage as they were early on in the game. Not that that is an elite unit necessarily. I think that a lot of times even the things that the Lions' supposed strength is able to do is a little bit overrated, but, like, Aleem McNeil got in there. Hutchinson was doing stuff. Even, uh, like, Melifanu was getting in there after I think he had a sack and a half last week. They were doing stuff. Second, did the Niners win without every single major Lion mishap? I listed them all out, and it made me sad. Um, six, pardon me, but the... Lions taking a field goal over a touchdown at the end of the first half. A decision that, at the time, I agreed with, honestly. The Kendall Vildor face mask boink, as it has been so dubbed into Brandon Ayuk's hands. Ayuk gets tackled, I think, at the two. They punch it in a couple plays later. Josh Reynolds drop, part one. Uh, Jameer Gibbs fumbling in dramatic fashion. Josh Reynolds drop, part two. Or having... The one that's unforgivable, whatever we're about to talk about, and I am going to defend Dan Campbell for the most part, the timeout after running the ball on third and goal where you have to burn a timeout, and it literally becomes impossible for you to come back unless you get the onside kick, that's unforgivable. You just can't do that. That was a mistake. That will be held against you, and it is something that even like as much as I'll give Kyle Shanahan shit for being conservative, he doesn't do that. I lean no if they don't make four out of six of these, which speaks to how well the Lions played and how disappointing it is that this is the final outcome. And then Dan Campbell, I I said, I framed it as, is Dan Campbell right? And you could put that and apply that to literally every instance that we just said, except for the drops and boinks and the fumble and his defensive coordinator being the one calling the defensive plays. My point in saying that is that I credit everything the Lions have done to this point, everything that they've done for their culture, just rebuilding this team from, I think, 3-13 and 13 in his first year, 9-8, and eight, to now 12-5. Well, and five. Credit to everything he's done, and it comes through any time we have the pleasure to hear him speak about those press conferences. That was like we were we were scrolling through the press conference, uh, trying to find something to play here prior to um, 
prior to starting these segments and uh, didn't find the specific one. We're more caught up in, on him sleeping two hours. But Raven, like, just as a person, I like hearing him talk. And I think that I understand why people are inspired by him in in those moments, whether it's like the, the hokey camera in the locker room or it's just moments like that where the kneecaps. I want to saying I want to listen to him. Yeah, I mean, I think he's definitely one of those guys that gravitates people to him and makes them listen to what he's saying. You know, he might not always be saying the most intelligent stuff, but he's got the heart. It's not which it's not highbrow coach speak. That no, he's he, going it's, on it's not. It's he's I mean, he's a former player, so he knows how these guys think and how they feel about situations, which a lot of a lot of coaches don't. Um, so, like, that's why I think he's a huge players guy. And, like, a lot of the players you see all respect him and love working under him. Like you said, he's got such a high praise for these guys in that uh, post-conference, and he cares so much about them. And he was, I mean, he was brutally honest, too, which is hard to be when he said, like, a lot of these guys just didn't have the experience and kind of get those feelings and mistakes kind of start rolling out and it's kind of hard to kind of grapple yourself and reground yourself into making coherent plays but I definitely think that was a part of it but he definitely he did well enough to where he wasn't providing any uh mistake like excuses excuse me I in the same way that we were talking about what we hold members of the Ravens to, I do hold him to that final mistake. And I think that you have an argument to make about his third and fourth down decision making. However, I don't think that you get here at all if that is just not how the way he plays. And I, I think that people were like calling it hypocrisy that he like took the field goal at the end of the first half, but then didn't later in the game. And even he has admitted to not making the correct decisions necessary to win this game. I I challenge that just because, look, uh, you can't have it both ways where you want, where you want someone to be smart in certain instances and like methodical or conservative and take the points there. Like it, it pissed me off so much because I think, I think it was uh, I think it was Brady that said he would have taken the points later on that uh, turnover on downs where Reynolds dropped it. Screw you! Like people who quibble on these things turn into Brandon Staley, where even the points at the end of the first half felt potentially like they were going to run that final play, and that is a credit to Campbell. No one trusts their boss, which is what Campbell is, to these players if they don't sincerely believe he backs up his philosophy. And I just don't want to denigrate that. I get it. it. Fundamentally, because it didn't work out, we have to criticize it. But I do not fault the vast majority of the decision making. So I I am not going to say that he was right in every one of these decisions. I just think that the way that he exists is right. And everything for their offseason is making significant gains on defense. Some of the problems we saw towards the end of the year, them giving up big yardage numbers, but also like big scoring numbers to teams like the Bears and the Saints and the Packers, who particularly the last one isn't exactly that embarrassing, but 
it's only gets magnified in the playoffs as seen by them giving up 300 yards plus passing in every game besides this one actually but some of these young guys are encouraging like I like McNeil who's gotten better Hutchinson is still good if inflated statistically sometimes and then some of their secondary Kirby Joseph is in his second year and when he's not making dirty plays he's okay Melifon, who's questionable, Cam Sutton's a disaster. Kendall Vildor is Kendall Vildor and still has a dent in his face mask. They need to build up there, and as much as I agree with Campbell in the sense that it's only going to get harder, they at least have a path forward. And if they're keeping Johnson, then I trust the offense to be just as good, and I don't really have a reason to think otherwise. Everything clicked for them in the first half to get back to the game. It felt like Amon Ra caught five third down conversions in a row. Uh, we've proven that Gibbs was a great pick and that I, not that I'm going to necessarily give Brad Holmes the benefit of the doubt. I don't know that Jack Campbell's all that good, but as, despite some people actually singing his praises, I just, I, that's a separate point. I don't really see it, but just draft secondary players and someone not named Alex Anzalone. And this game might've ended 31 to 20. Aaron Glenn, I'm guessing, is a great interview because with how many gigs that he was apparently up for, I don't know why you hire a coordinator of a defense with 16 missed tackles in the biggest game in your franchise's history. On the other side, I mean, this is all just me, again, defending Campbell and showing what went wrong with the Lions. No one wanted the Niners really to win this game going unless, again, you were in San Francisco. even if they're better, as much as I don't want to admit it. Through the course of the game, Ayuk, McCaffrey, Debo, and even Purdy, scrambling later on, took turns showing the talent disparity on display. The Lions couldn't capitalize on Purdy's mistakes when he made them. He's 20 for 31, 267, a touchdown and a pick. PFF said that Purdy had two turnover-worthy plays. It felt like 20. They could have got him. I mean, and if you don't want to call them turnover-worthy plays, there was one, like, almost sack that would have been huge where Purdy scrambled. And there again, it was just they needed one moment to plug the hole in the ship, and they just couldn't find it. He did just enough, but even those yards are inflated by, I think, 51 because of the Kendall Vildor play. Credit to them for pushing the ball downfield. Uh... Vildor, Sutton, and Melifon showed their cracks as the pass rush stopped making as much of a difference. Purdy is enough with these skill players, but this defense has been cracking. As good as the Lions are, you let up 31 points in the most important game of your season. Even Greg Olson on the uh, on the call pointed out that this massive Niners defensive line is not the best at run stopping. It's just not what they're built for. Uh, there's been a lot made over the last few days about Chase Young actively taking plays off. And while I don't think that he was a complete negative, it's it's pretty brutal considering they gave up draft compensation for possibly, I don't even th- say it possibly, I think definitely the wrong Washington defensive lineman. It felt like Jameer Gibbs was speed walking for 12 yards on some of these plays. And their size might not be a benefit against 
what the uh, the Lions were doing, it might be a benefit against Pacheco. We'll just have to see. Kyle Shanahan is back in the Super Bowl. This is technically a rematch, but let's look back at the 2020 Super Bowl just for a reference for how long ago that actually feels. Jimmy G was the quarterback. Uh, the Chiefs won by putting up 21 points in a fourth quarter where they began down 20 to 10. It was the Tyree kill, what was it, fourth and 15, where it was that crazy pass to uh, to set up the win. And then we've moved on from the Niners game. Just before we do, I want to give credit to Detroit for this season. And even though they are not in this game that we are about to preview and spend the next two weeks previewing, I am glad that they made it this far because it was fun. And we talked about it earlier, right? That although this isn't what we were hoping for, I am glad that we got the game that we did after that stinky, stinky Chiefs-Ravens game. Here's every player that recorded a yard in the 2020 Super Bowl. Jimmy Garoppolo, at least on the Niners, Raheem Mostert, Debo Samuel, Tevin Coleman, Kendrick Bourne, Kyle Juszczyk, Emmanuel Sanders... George Kittle and Jeff Wilson. Two of those players are still on the team. On the other side, Mahomes, Damian Williams, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, Blake Bell, Darwin Thompson, McCole Hardman. To everyone's chagrin, uh, McCole Hardman is in fact still on this team, even though they tried so, so, so hard to... uh, to rectify that situation. Their defenses have been completely remade. The Chiefs more so than the Niners. Don't need to necessarily read through all of those. But my point is, this is a rematch, but it is an entirely different world that we live in now. I believe that Super Bowl happened when we um, were just learning what a uh, mysterious virus spreading across Wuhan, China was uh was doing to the world so god that's so crazy dude. that's how long ago that was so as much as we want to talk about it's like oh it's uh Shanahan against Reed again like it's not the same league even that we're playing in it's not the same world <laughs> precisely and then one last point before we uh get to our to what we're most excited about and what we most dread about this game and the two coming weeks prior to the actual Super Bowl. I just wanted to run through, and honestly, this gives uh, this gives some credit to you, Raven, because I'm going to talk about your team too. Here's what the, the poor, poor Lions, who I wish were here, uh, are going to have to deal with next year. And making my point about when you're going up against Mahomes, your margin of error is so thin because the league is ever-changing. You have the Arizona Cardinals with Kyler Murray back in the NFC, a developing receiver core, and a team that I think is going to be the one to draft, Marvin Harrison Jr. Atlanta Falcons get a new coach and are probably going to get a new quarterback. If they get someone like Cousins, they might win like 12 games. Carolina, Bryce Young can't get worse. And although I literally forget their coach's name already, it's at least someone new. It's not Frank Reich. They have a talented defense. Chicago, please, is going to draft... Dave Canales. Dave Canales, thank you, is please going to draft a very talented rookie quarterback to lead what is already a well-developed roster that might also draft 
an elite wide receiver in the draft as well. Um, also, fun fact, because Purdy is in it this year, marks the 12th year in a row, I think it's since 2011, so maybe 13th, uh, that a team with a rookie quarterback has made the Super Bowl, or a team with a rookie contract quarterback, rather. Big distinction, but just throwing that out there. Uh, Dallas, still have Dak, still have McCarthy. Honestly, that makes me worry about them less, but they're there. The Packers, love is only getting better. All of those receivers are only getting better, and they don't have Joe Barry, which we didn't actually talk about, but I assume that makes you happy. Super. L.A. still has Stafford, who's going to be healthy. Puka will be better. Cup will ideally be healthy. This defense has players that are developing. They don't have Raheem Morris anymore, which might be a problem, but they're there. The Vikings might just be healthy. The Saints might just be healthy. Even the Chargers the, got a coach now. The Chargers, well, that's the AFC. I'm just sticking in the NFC. Oh. The Giants, they'll probably have Daniel Jones again. You don't have to worry about them. The Eagles, it's still talent, and if they get competent coordinators, then maybe they can have a redux of last year. Terrifying. The Niners, who are in the Super Bowl right now. The Seahawks, who are also going to get a new coach. Tampa Bay, who played you pretty tight. And then the commies who are a joke. But they don't have Dan Schneider. They don't have Dan Schneider. So that's a win for them. That's, what, 13, 14 teams you have to be concerned about in the NFC. And that's before you actually make a run to the Super Bowl and probably have to play Mahomes or someone, or some equally, if not quite as terrifying team and marginally worse quarterback. So... Good luck. We are entering a period where if the Niners don't get this one against the Chiefs, uh, I don't know if they're going to be back because it might just be a shuffle of NFC teams and it's just which one doesn't get hurt. All that said, Raven, what are you most excited about for the Super Bowl? Uh, I'm excited for Usher to be performing. It's been a while since I've seen Usher do music, so that would be that would be happy. I just don't care about these two teams. <laughs> like I, I don't know. I don't want you to expect for you. <laughs> I hate the Chiefs. I hate the 49ers you, you even more. I don't know the Chiefs. I mean, everything that's happened this year with Taylor and Travis, like whatever. But I don't know. I don't like Patrick Mahomes that much <laughs> as a person. Even um, the Usher Bowl. The Usher Bowl is a great name for this. Uh, I think he's kind of whiny a lot of the time when he's not winning. And I just look at his brother and, and wife. <laughs> they're not the, I was, they're not I the most that lovable was, I people. I thought that was going to be the first thing you said and maybe the only thing you said. So I appreciate the, um, the more in-depth analysis of displeasure, but he's no Riri. Uh, Please don't let Jackson Mahomes near our goal. Please. Um, the few things that I jotted down really quickly, again, we have two weeks to get into all this, but it's Mahomes challenging Brady's legacy already. I think it was, um, Jamel Hill who, who said that it was like, I, I saw it as like a medium take too, that, um, Mahomes doesn't need to win seven Super Bowls to be better than Brady. And I think winning the Super Bowl, uh, puts it on track where he might do that anyway. And that is just fascinating because if Mahomes can 
even catch like Montana, then you're talking about someone that we already see as the most talented quarterback ever, just dominating the league for two decades. Because if you win, if you win five or six Super Bowls over the course of an 18 to 20 year career, it's a good career. You destroyed the league. So I think that this will put him, honestly, as heretical as it is, put him on track to pass him. Uh, this is Shanahan's make or break, and I, I really think that if they don't get this one, part of why I laid that out is that if if Shanahan and the Niners don't win this game, the NFC is disgustingly brutal, and we know things are going to happen. Like I, I mentioned even the Cardinals in there, someone's going to get hurt like Kyler was. One of these new coaches is going to suck, and like someone's going to fall off a cliff. And so what I said as 14 teams is going to be like 10. And as much as that's, I guess, statistically better, it's not. You have an entire squadron of teams ready to face up against you and a quarterback that you have proven that as much as we want to belabor our love for Big Cock Brock, Without a Super Bowl here, I think it instantly becomes who can we get to replace Purdy? And as amazing as the last pick to Super Bowl Brock would be, you this is the game that defines whether or not we view Shanahan as a winner and whether or not we view Purdy as their starter going forward. And this game alone might be worth $200 million to Brock Purdy. Because if he's a Super Bowl winner, they're going to keep him. And if not, Chatter's going to start sign a five name. seconds after the game. I don't <laughs> think they'll sign anyone. It's just the Chatter will be there permanently Yeah. until he wins one, too. And then don't let Jackson Holmes near alcohol. Will Travis Kelsey propose? And so I already know how this is going to happen. Jason right. Kelsey take his shirt off. I what? already know the, how this is going to happen, okay? If the Chiefs win, you know, they're going to do their they're little not parade. To, they're not going to... They're going to do the Disney World thing. And then it's going to, like, stop. Everything's going to stop. He's going to do it on the field. Yeah, and that's... No, I'm, that's what I'm saying. You said parade. Yeah, okay, you do the, like, parade around the stadium with, uh, like, the whole team looking at the stands and, like screaming we're going to Disney World like they do every year. But that's going to happen. They're going to go straight to the 50-yard the line. A giant spotlight's going to come down. And then he's going to have a microphone I don't ready. Think it's, I don't think it's going to be that dramatic. It's going to be that dramatic. And if it happens, I'm done. With what? NFL. Okay. An entertainment league, not a sports league saying, anymore. If that's what all sports are. Calm down. Anyway... I'm just saying that the odds are pretty good. It's like plus 1,100, and, I mean, daddy can buy a new car with that kind of thing. Raven. Yes. Do you have anything to plug after this mess of a podcast? <laughs> uh, go check out the Daily Hockey Show. Tassos and I went for a shorter episode, but talked about a little bit of the upcoming All-Star break stuff. We got new On the Gravel coming out next week. Some big news around all of racing. And um, shout out our roommate for hitting two parlays, 25 legs each. How much did he win? $1 for 40 and I believe uh, a 250 to 30. 
But uh, yeah, that's that's about <laughs> it for us for today. It's about the odds that I'd put on him passing his classes. Well, thank Whale. you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, go check out everything else on Alifio. Appreciate y'all. See everyone on Friday. We'll see you then. Yeah.